Hi everyone and welcome back to Discerning Consciousness podcast. I'm your host Ant and you join me today for episode number 138. I hope you guys are all doing well and manage to retain your sanity in the midst of an increasingly insane world right now. Anyway, this is just a little bit of a preview for today's um, particular episode. Um, This was a recording that Mike and I, my former co-host on Discerning Consciousness, um, we recorded this back in January 2020, back when um, COVID was still the stuff of a madman's dream. (laughs) Anyway, um, I'd completely forgotten that we'd done this recording. Um, I stumbled across it very recently uh, when I was backing up some of my... um, files for the uh for my podcast i should say and um it's basically we talk about 1984 and specifically we talk about um newspeak and then we go on to talk about how newspeak has developed in modern society in the guise of doublespeak and then we relate that to things like the woke agenda and political correctness Um, So, yeah, it's still relevant, very much relevant to today's um, issues and what's going on in the world, even though um, we don't really mention COVID in the context of 1984, which, of course, right now, uh, many people have done since March 2020. Anyway, um, yeah, I hope you enjoy um, listening uh, to our conversation. And that's coming up right now for you all. Thank you very much. Hello everybody and welcome back to Discerning Consciousness. I'm your host Ant and once again I'm joined by my co-host Mike. Hello Mike. Hello there Anthony, how's it going? That's good, good good to have you on board again for this episode. So um, today we're talking about uh, George Orwell's 1984 and specifically um, the idea of newspeak or news speak. So we'll start just by giving a little bit of a, a background to the novel. And then what we're going to do is just so you've got a heads up as to what we're going to be covering in this episode. So we're going to then look at, look at the principles of Newspeak. There's three main principles. Uh, and then we're going to look at uh, Doublespeak, which is a word that in more modern society has been used uh, instead of Newspeak, really. Um, then we're going to look at Newspeak and t- touch upon political correctness. And then finally, we're going to look at microaggression, the idea of racism and the concept of woke and wokeness. That sounds very interesting. Yeah, definitely does. Right. So we jump straight in. Uh, As you're probably well aware, uh, 1984 was a novel um, written by George Orwell, which was first published in 1949. So it speaks of a dystopian future where freedom is brutally crushed. And more specifically, there's no freedom of thought. So George Orwell wrote 1984 uh, as a warning to the future. Um, basically, obviously, that's why it was called 1984, because that's what he saw in the future if, um, you know, the West ever befell to fascism and totalitarianism. Yeah, it's just a shame no one actually paid attention to the warning. <laughs> I know, absolutely, <laughs> yeah. So he it was partly inspired by um, the Spanish Civil War, and the main uh, aim of such societies such and uh, the party in 1984 was to turn humans into machines and to replace the organic with inorganic. Hmm, that sounds familiar with what's happening in modern society. Modern, yeah, so. everyone's job's getting replaced by machines. <laughs> yeah, sure, and AI coming on board. And yet, for some reason, everyone's <clears throat> still going about the foreigners stole your jobs. I know. No, it's going to be the machines. <laughs> yeah, definitely the rise of the machines. 
So the main mechanism of control uh, in the novel is the control of information and history, psychological manipulation, physical control and technology. So I think you'll agree, Mike, that's completely uh, the idea of asymmetric control, just not, thought, just not about thought control, but also physical control as well. Oh, yeah. Well, anything physical comes from thought initially. So sure, by controlling yeah. the thoughts, they control your expression of those thoughts. Yeah. Um, it's quite fascinating really though that just by controlling the lexicon of which you can use mm. um, it's not necessarily just controlling the, the way you would speak about something it actually controls the way you think about the very thing itself and that is a nice little summary of the whole synopsis really of the novel so um, the main message um, of 1984 George Orwell's 1984 is that language is of central importance to human thought because it structures and limits the ideas that individuals are capable of expressing. So that goes on from your point, really, yeah. essentially. And it alters the very structure of language to make it impossible to even conceive of disobedient or rebellious thoughts um, because there are no words to express them. So obviously that was another key part of Newspeak and Doublespeak. We're principally spoke, uh, focusing on Newspeak in this episode. So I'll give you a nice little quote here. Uh, for the benefit of our listeners from the actual novel, it's from page 45, and I quote, Don't you see that the whole aim of Newspeak is to narrow the range of thought? In the end, we shall make thought crime literally impossible because there will be no words in which to express it. Every concept that can ever be needed will be expressed by exactly one word, with its meaning rigidly defined and all its subsidiary meanings rubbed out and forgotten every year fewer and fewer words and the range of consciousness always a little smaller so that's interesting because obviously the main the main character smith he was working um in the ministry of truth where he was kind of what they would call it now redacting or yeah. he was um <laughs> eliminating truth changing words so i mean that does relate to the, the way in which we know that the victors in things like war tend to write the narrative so we can say that a lot of history as we know it is bunk essentially when yeah you... history is written by the winners our brave glorious soldiers went over and killed those hideous savages exactly you know those sort of languages yeah exactly so we can see how uh, the main principle within george orwell's 1984 absolutely relates to now so anyway, moving on now um, to look at some of the key principles of Newspeak, uh, Mike. So this is actually uh, mentioned within the appendix of the book, which is an interesting read. And he, as I say, talks about the principles of Newspeak. So this means that there, there's no words. The word bad doesn't actually uh, exist. So it can, there's no words that contain a negative term or expression. Use so, the antonym of yes, the negative. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So, for example, the only way to express the meaning of bad is through the word ungood. So, therefore, very bad equals double plus ungood. So, and also, this is interesting as well. So, anything, because it's all about the idea of the collective rather than the individual in, um, in the book, which I think, again, relates to modern society as well, with the idea of collectivism. So, anything done for yourself as an individual is taboo so aka everything is equal so it's not about oneself it's own self 
So in a way that relates to political correctness in some ways and the idea that in some circles at least it's unacceptable to say he and she, to use the pro- pronouns. Hang on, trigger warning. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry guys. <laughs> <laughs> so um, George Orwell, um, in the appendix, he wrote uh, about three class of words which are the underpinning principles of Newspeak. So um, A-class words and phrases are related to kind of very domestic, everyday things like eating, drinking and working. As I say, they contain contain everyday words which uh, contain prefixes. So, for example, warm is uncold and very cold is plus cold. So basically you have, um, there's no real sort of uh, ambiguity as such in that there's quite a a rigid... um, type meaning i'm not quite sure why for example for with warm why it would be um uncold rather than not warm i guess that's because not would be like a connotation of something bad or negative i'm guessing also because everyone's living in abject poverty that their standard state is to be cold so everything has to be referenced in that coldness i guess that's a good point because i remember from the novel and certainly the film the sort of gray dystopianness and yeah the 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 coldness and the fact that they always seem to be cold and not properly uh, clothed that's actually yeah. a really good point to pick up thank you for that mike so going on to what uh, george orwell talks about with b-class words these are compound words that are normally political or ideological based uh, which contain double think so it's about making a bad thing seem uh, palatable so in modern society, at least, in terms of kind of war reference, political reference, we would have things like collateral damage, which basically uh, is a, a really clunky, horrible phrase for killing innocent civilians. I yeah. hate that phrase. It's a kind of word, collateral damage sounds like you've walked into a china shop and inadvertently, you know, knocked over some china. <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry, manager. I've, I've done some collateral damage. It's a horrible phrase. Isn't yeah, it? it's one of those um, phrases used to soften the truth. Sure. Yeah. And another classic one, I like that phrase, soften the truth, is the classic pharmaceutical side effect. Yeah. Yeah, I do find it funny with the side effects, how, you know, these things are meant to be like unwanted effects, but there's still effects that you get from that medication. Um, Every single medicine we have in our modern society has unwanted side effects. And ironically enough, isn't the last one they always put is death. (laughs) The ultimate side effect. What was it? Um, The side effects of uh, depression medication may cause depression. I know. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so just to talk about some that are actually in the book, Mike. So a forced labour labor camp is called a joy camp. <laughs> uh, an unperson is about removing dissenters from society, so they're known as unpeople or unperson. And the Ministry of Peace, i.e. Ministry of War, is known as mini-packs. So that's interesting, those use of in the book. Just returning again to some more... Um, ones that we're familiar with in society at large. A common one that always um, kind of doesn't really amuse me because it's serious, but the Israeli Defence Force. So it's not the Israeli army, um, it's the Israeli Defence Force, which really is a kind of oxymoron, really, as they're an army of occupation. I think that's... So they can always <laughs> they can always claim that they're defending themselves, can't they? Because we're an army of... We're a, de- a defence force. Exactly. But then again, the same thing happened um, with the English, where we changed it from Ministry of War sure. um, to Ministry of Defence. Yeah, sure, exactly. Yeah, so it's, it's going on all the time. 
So back to um, some uh, examples in the novel 1984. So orthodoxy is known as good think. Uh, fault, the fault police are think poll. Um, so it's interesting how they're just basically a lot of the wording is it's just simplified, isn't it? If you think of it, the word orthodoxy is quite a long, complex word, quite a lot. Yeah, going definitely. On there. You just say good think is quite easy to understand, isn't it? And with fault police being um, truncated down to think poll, that's just like a simple, almost like an abbreviation. Really, Why you it? get it these days? Well, some people call the police the popo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or the filth in, <laughs> in some quarters. So moving on um, to C-class words, um, which George Orwell talks about in the appendix of 1984. These are related to science and technical fields. So this ensures technical knowledge remains segmented. So no one individual can gain access uh, to too much information. So we have specialisms and specialists and experts in different fields now we can see this in modern society can't we quite well definitely we've definitely gone down the route of specialism and um, let's just refer you to the expert on that um there's very little people in our society that actually have um degrees or specialities in a multiple field that sure. often connect together so well today sure and they're often um they're often there's a there's a phrase uh, called generalist. So to describe someone that um, you know has um, expertise in many fields, it's called to be a generalist, which again is a disparaging phrase in and of itself. Well, do you know what? Um, going through how this um, you know war on words has been going on for not just since um, the book came out, but for yeah, centuries. Of course, yeah, Even yeah. the very phrase um, "jack of all trades but master of none." Sure. Yeah is always used to disparage the fact that, oh yeah, you may be kind of good at a lot of things, but you're not great at any one thing. Sure. But do you know what? The phrase actually continues to say um, it's better to be a jack of all trades exactly. than to be a master exactly. of none. Yeah, so it doesn't actually make any sense on that level. And also what you find is that as much as someone can be a specialist in their field, no matter what it is, they obviously then have blind spots, don't they? Because they have like this this ideological certainty about what they know. And if you introduce any type of contradictory information, they kind of, they have the whole uh, kind of cognitive uh, dissonance yeah. or an ego knee jerk reaction. And that, and that's, that's a shame because it, it, it you know, it means that they're not going to grow their knowledge. Yeah. Um, you often see these in stories and films and media a lot because um, they like to pray portray the fact that the experts are only experts in their particular field and when you take it out of that field they lose context or understanding mm, sure. um, which is quite easily done because we're taught in our world to this is how this thing works in that special scenario sure. but they never tell us it's just in that special scenario yeah, um, yeah and that's why there's such a big thing in in say science between general and special relativity sure and Sorry, I was just going to say one's just taking in special cases and then you have to have a whole different theory for the general case. And it's interesting whenever you watch the news and they'll bring on the specialist related to that news story, don't you? Uh, won't you you'll see it and you'll think, well, that's all very well. But can you talk about another subject? What, what could do you know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's quite interesting. So moving on now. So what we're going to talk about now, Mike, is the concept of double speak. So doublespeak is essentially a word that references newspeak. So it's a word that um, basically describes political, 
political propaganda. Uh, it describes uh, words that, um, in, in terms of political correctness that can no longer be used. So it's a more societal way of saying newspeak, for want of a better phrase. Yeah, the way I see it, it's almost like newspeak, but it's having a double meaning. So instead sure. of curtailing your... Um, your lexicon of language, it's now tricking your lexicon yeah, of language. It's almost taking it to another level in a way. So Merriam-Webster's online dictionary defines doublespeak as language, language used to deceive, usually through concealment or misrepresentation of truth. I'm getting my words out, Mike. That obviously applies to political propaganda, marketing, all sorts of techniques used Everything in you films. hear in the news. <laughs> Basically, yeah. <laughs> Anything you hear in advertising from companies. Yeah, All sure. of that. Yeah. So just a little pricey of double speak uh, for the benefit of our listeners before we go into four of the main types, Mike. So as the description said, it's a falsehood is the fact that it... Sorry. A falsehood is the fact that at, it pretends to communicate. So it pretends... To, to it's pretending to present something that isn't true essentially <clears throat> or it attempts to avoid or shift responsibility so that's quite an interesting one if you think of collateral damage when they're saying that it's like oh sorry yeah someone spilt uh, um, some cutlery or, or some some china when you've just slaughtered you know a, an Af 50 people at an afghan wedding or so oh, it's just collateral damage it's you're almost blaming them in a way aren't you yeah um, how dare they get in our way yeah, of our how, bomb exactly of our smart bomb yeah so it's much like new speaking that it prevents or conceals thoughts and also it's it's kind of easy to recognize double speak in terms of if you think of who is saying what to whom and under what conditions and circumstances and with what intent and with what results so that's quite a long-winded way of saying that kind of often applies to political speech in the political speech they'll often say something that the public want to hear or they might say something that the public doesn't want to hear but they'll they'll put it in such a way that that doesn't come across does that make any sense yeah there's well the whole thing of well one example of the double speak is for it not to make sense so yeah, sure. <laughs> you're on the right lines yeah yeah and also <laughs> um you can think here of political um campaigning how everything's just reduced down to simple platitudes so i remember under one of obama's campaigns we just had hope and then i'm, I'm not sure i'm not or about remember. the most laughable one though um theresa may strong and stable <laughs> or the one the, an interesting i think it was from a british context change you can believe in it's like what so i think that's because a lot of people are fed up with the idea of change or they don't want to change or we live in a world where we're constantly having to, you know, update our utility supplier, our phone contracts. We're constantly having to change things. So they're saying, well, no, it's changed that you can... Well, next thing you know, it's just like... Um, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, what was that? Um, yeah, even Obama went on that change um, thing. Yeah. And yeah, at the end of the day, he never said what changed. They never referenced what they're going to do properly. No, sure. It's just repeat that platitude enough and you'll believe it eventually. Yeah, sure. So I remember in the 1997 election, which Tony Blair won with the Labour Party, and one of his was just education, education, education. I mean, you, you can't... Oh, wow. You, you, I bet how many people wrote that. <laughs> you can't get... I know that isn't necessarily an example of double speak. But it's just how the language is just manipulated in a way 
that it just almost makes it's almost meaningless in a way because in some sort of sense with political rhetoric because they can't tell the truth because then people wouldn't vote for them if the politicians told the truth of a policy <laughs> people wouldn't vote for them so they just do give these simple platitudes don't they which really is actually just quite insulting to the electorate in a way well it can be it can be very insulting <clears throat> so moving on to uh there's four main types of double speak and these were formulated by an author or academic in the 80s and 90s who, write a, who wrote a few, quite a few books called William Lutz. That's L-U-T-Z. So he was an academic that became known for his writings on um, doublespeak. So the first of the four main types is euphemism. So euf euphemisms are not necessarily a negative thing in that they can be tactful or thoughtful words. So, for example, condolences about a death, we might say passed away rather than you could express to someone I'm sorry to hear that your mum or dad died etc or to say that a pet has been put to sleep rather than it's been euthanized they're euthanized so they're words that we would use we're not trying to deceive anyone but we're trying to say something in a d less direct way and the person hearing it would probably pick up on that and actually think well that's a nice thing to do it can soften the blow um, in that respect yeah um would you put in the same category of euphemisms the whole kind of like gangster speak of oh take care of that guy yeah. meaning you know assassinate him <laughs> yeah. essentially well I, we're, we're coming on to some of those so yeah i would <laughs> i would say but in the negative sense in the sense of a euphemism being double speak they're often used to mislead or deceive or, as we said before, to lessen the impact of an illegal or controversial act or action. So we have some classic examples here. Extrajudicial killing, which essentially is an assassination, or uh, detainee, uh, which is a prisoner of war, or, as we said before, collateral damage, which is multiple deaths, or classic one that we've all heard many times, ethnic cleansing, which is really basically genocide. So again, it's euphemisms which are used to reduce the impact of what is actually a pretty horrific thing. Yeah, like, detach know, us, detaching us emotionally um, so we don't react the way we should. Yeah, it's almost to, uh, to dehumanise those victims in a way. Of... Not just the, the victims, but the very us as well, because we have to be dehumanised to not respond outrageously sure. to these things. Yeah, and that's how you know, the, the control of language controls the way we think, which was yeah. the whole principle of Newspeak, relating it back to Newspeak. So some nice juicy business examples I've got here, because they, they like their they love their euphemisms in the in the corporate world, don't they, Mike? So we've got reducing costs, which is a euphemism for cutting your salary, or cost cost cutting exercise, which is uh mass redundancies redundancies, or a, a one that is common, say, in the public sector when some you know executive that has come up with an idea that's absolutely bombed they call it ill-advised rather than <laughs> a terrible idea i like that one <laughs> yeah it can never be a failure it was just no. an ill-advised yeah. marketing adventure it was it was all the intelligence that i got it all or, 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 you know yeah our market research <laughs> yeah i mean that was even with i'm not sure if you remember but with the iraq war, war in 20, 2003 and the fallout from it when um, they didn't find those weapons of mass destruction <laughs> or weapons of mass destruction. Sorry, weapons of mass uh, distraction. Yeah, do, do you remember they, like one of the things that they were saying was trying to deny the truth was our, our intelligence. We got faulty intelligence. <laughs> but I have to admit, talking about um, euphemisms, how about the whole idea that um, America sold Iraq all those years ago? 
farming equipment. Oh yeah. And then suddenly it's like, oh, we gotta, we gotta take them out. They've got weapons now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, the phosphorus became weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. So moving on uh, to the second uh, aspect of double speak, which is called jargon, Mike. So jargon is uh, a language is often used, especially language often used used in professions or trades and it is basically a verbal shorthand which uh, indicates membership of a group and it deliberately disempowers uh, the general public who don't tend to be members of these groups because they don't know what the language is or they don't know what the terminology is so a classic example here that we would have all heard of is legalese yeah <laughs> legalese which we um which we know obviously from the legal um profession where every single word doesn't have the standard english definition of that word sure. um meant in its description um sure. so you know where a person doesn't actually mean a person no, sure <laughs> so the other um the reason why jargon is often used principally within professions or trades <clears throat> is because it gives authority and prestige um i suppose for those people who are initiated within this within a profession or a trade within the legal profession in terms of legalese, it makes them easier to talk to one another. It's like in-speak. So um, I'll give you an example. When I was in Bristol a few years ago, I worked for the court service. I worked in the family court and I would quite often clerk courts. So I'd be, I'd swear witnesses in. I'd have to take documents from counsel and solicitors and give them to the judge, speak to the judge and, you know, bring people into the court when it was at the right time and all the rest of it and record the sessions. And that was interesting, the way in which solicitors or barristers would talk to one, you'd hear them talking to one another, or the way in which obviously they would address the judge. It's all this pomp and ceremony, well, like you get in the Houses of Parliament or the Palace of Westminster. I can it's, imagine. All, <laughs> it's all about speaking and addressing in the correct manner. It's, it's all just pompous. It's a play, it's a pantomime. <laughs> sure, I mean, as an observer, as someone working there, it was quite interesting. I, I actually I actually found it quite interesting. But yeah, I think it's a good example of how within the legal profession and the court service, you know, they talk to one another in a certain way. And of course, I got to look at quite a lot of legal documents and to see the wording, the ridiculous wording that is used. I was going to say, um, when it comes to the whole jargon nature of things in uh, the legal profession, it's ridiculous. Like I was saying earlier, the word we see a word in a legal document and we think it means what it means in the everyday language but sure. it really doesn't anymore no. um so that's a really bad one but there are other examples where jargon becomes a necessity within a subject sure, yeah. um take physics for example mm. um there is a lot of um jargon that goes along with physics that is almost needed to say something in a precise manner mm. you know because with that jargon you can say a phrase that will only have five words and it will give you exact information of what's going on but if you don't use those jargon words mm. it will take you about four sentences to describe it yeah otherwise. i mean as as we as we've said um whilst going along with these different types of double speak they're not all, always necessarily about deception and a negative thing. Sometimes they're very necessary things and they actually make life easier. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But oftentimes they are used against us and in sure. the legal way, sure. it's very much used against sure. us. So I've got a lovely example here uh, of um, uh, legalese, which is, this is commonly found at the end of a, uh, a deed, which obviously is a type of legal document. So, I, and I quote... This is one you'll enjoy. 
in witness whereof the parties hereunto have set their hands to these presents as a deed on the day, month and year herein before mentioned. Now that little doozy of a description basically is a long hand version of sign and date. Yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> absolutely ridiculous, isn't it? And that just kind of, you know, sums up the whole concept of legalese. But I mean, you know, people in the legal profession would say we're heretics because they would say, well, of course, you know, we, we've got to speak in this way because this is this is how it is. Do you see what I mean? Oh, I just find that the thing utter ridiculous. Yeah, sure. So moving on to uh, the third type of uh, doublespeak, which is called gobbledygook or a bureaucraties, which is a long word. So gobbledygook or bureaucraties is essentially using lots of words and jargon to impress the reader. So it might be it might contain jargon as well. So it communicates nothing because it makes very little sense and it's often used to hide abuses of power or privilege. And it can be used to make contradictory ideas seem compatible. Compatible. So I'll just give you this example for the benefit of listeners, Mike. So this were this uh, couple of sentences was um, written by Brown University economist Herschel I. Grossman. And this is what these are two sentences that he said about family love. OK, and I quote. This is his words on family love. See if you can make sense of this. See what our listeners think of this. It's a doozy. An altruistic utility function promotes intertemporal efficiency. Full stop. However, altruism creates an externality that implies that satisfying the conditions for efficiency does not ensure intertemporal optimality. So that's his description wow. of family love. Herschel I. Grossman. I think this is something I found. This would have been in the late 80s at Brown University. Well, I'm sure our uh, US listeners will be able to tell us where that is in the States, but that's, I, a, that's a doozy. There. I think I roughly get what he's on about, but, you know, it's one of those, yeah, I'll give my best guess. Yeah. I think he just means, like, you know, in the situation at hand, helping one each other does have an advantage, but... Um, not through altruism, but through efficiency. Yeah, sure. I wow, that's think, brilliant. <laughs> I think that's what he's getting at. Good stuff. So in terms of um, gobbledygook or bureaucraties being used to make contradictory ideas seem compatible, this is commonly used in the political arena. So again, this is in the 80s. So this would have been um, during the Reagan administration. Uh, US Secretary of State Alexander Haig in the 1980s he said, a continued arms build-up was, I quote, absolutely essential to our hopes for meaningful arms reduction. What? <laughs> I, re I repeat that again. He said, a continued arms build-up was, and I quote, absolutely essential to our hopes for meaningful arms reduction. Secretary of State Alexander Haig in the late 80s, which, yeah, would have been under... Would have been under a Reagan administration. So that's guess, not even a Cold War times. Yeah, it was towards the end of the Cold War. So it would have been, it, it would have been in the context of the Cold War, but it, when the fall was going on, if you like. Oh, okay. So then. it would have been not not at the height of the Cold War. Yeah, but yeah, and I'm sure I could have found dozens of those kind of uh, 
political statements where they are just literally. It's but then just again, bunk. why do you think they called it the mad situation? Oh well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> mutually assured yeah, destruction. Exactly. Mad language and mutually assured destruction. Destruction. <laughs> yeah. So whilst we digest that and our listeners digest it, moving on to um, the last uh, of the types of doublespeak, which is called inflated language, which is about making the ordinary seem extraordinary. Now, this is a, an interesting one because this is commonly used in terms of advertising phrasing. So in marketing, basically, yep. also known as weasel words. So one that sprung to my mind was um, you'll find it commonly on cereal boxes. It will say fortified with vitamins. Well, that's because in the in, it's, it's a very, as we know, industrial process to uh, produce these cereals. That's probably why we shouldn't eat them. <laughs> they basically been de delineated of any nutrients so they have to add them back in yeah so you know i mean fortified with vitamins is absolutely weasel words and then but it's not as bad as um with the whole kind of like healthy vegan free range movement that's sure. been going on so oh i've got free range eggs or i've got natural this well these terms tend to be very wishy-washy within the marketing language and they sure. don't have any proper defined meaning no sure so they just chuck it on there sure. you know yeah that sounds get a free range um it was locally sourced sure. and all this sure. and it's again um these kind of work excuse me, um, often become meaningless, like sugarless or light, enriched, natural. What do they actually mean? Do you know what I mean? Even a lot of products that are labelled organic, well, how do you know it's actually organic? Yeah, and often, like we were talking about the legalese earlier, the, these words that are used don't necessarily have the same meaning we think they do in terms no. of advertising. Sure. And uh, also, this is classically um, about using in advertising oxymorons of course uh, and a good one uh, that I found was some was genuine imitation leather it's like great <laughs> I've got a genuine imitation do you know what every time I hear someone say genuine this genuine that all I can think of is Del Boy go genuine. <laughs> Gen genuine I just think it's the most knockoff thing ever when I hear genuine Gen genuine Rodney got your <laughs> genuine camel skin coat <laughs> So just quickly, lastly, Mike, on doublespeak, obviously the main danger of, of doublespeak is that as a population, quite often we, we um, fail to recognise them because they're just so ubiquitous now, aren't they? Yeah, um, essentially the way we're taught about language in schools, well, essentially the way I was taught about language, and then the way you find that language can be used against you, sure. um, it's often quite a, a shock. Like, I think everyone has experienced this. They read a sales advertisement, they go in, they go to buy this at the deal price, and then suddenly they haven't read the terms and conditions. Yeah, sure. Oh, this coupon's only valid on a Wednesday. There's always got to be something to... So you go, oh, I've been scuppered, I've been done, I've been sure. conned, essentially. And then you find out that this conning is absolutely legal. Sure. And that's when most people start realising about this. And sure, yeah. It is that kind of like, the state of language and the way it's used, it's used against us so horrendously. Yeah, and it's so broad. So I forgot to mention before, but, um, you know, around Christmas and into the new year here in the UK, you have lots of signs on... Uh, retailers and shops up to 50% off up to 70% off off 
on what exactly <laughs> you know uh, again it, that is just obviously to entice you into the shop exactly. and then you find it's one rail in the corner yeah. <laughs> stuff that you know old stock that no one wants to buy so basically a lot of these words and phrases they're designed to mislead like you were saying mike and you know to 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 actually hide the truth really and i think the the problem is as I said before, because we've become so used to it, we're almost desensitised. We don't really protest. I don't expect people to get to get onto you know the streets and get a placard. Less use of you know double speak, but it is quite a serious thing because it is so insidious, isn't it? Yeah, it essentially can be. I mean, the advertising stuff is almost here or there when it comes to like you said the phrases like ethnic cleansing. Yeah. You know, that almost sounds like, oh, I've just got to clean the kitchen, just yeah. got to use a bit of that ethnic cleansing stuff. But it's horrendous what it actually means, and yet they almost make it sound so blasé with the phrase. Sure, yeah. It is about lessening the impact of what might be a war crime. Yeah, I mean, it essentially, not just lessens the impact, it desensitises you from the actual event that happened. Mm. It just sounds like, oh, something bad happened, never mind, let's move on. Mm. And, and it's also about often it's used because we in the West see that we're superior to, say, like someone in Afghanistan or someone in, in India, which we in the West would say is the third world or the developing world. And it's we covered this on our episode on propaganda, how the media, the news media uses words and phrases to describe, you know, those people as, you know, as it says in Newspeak, they're unpeople. Well, they're uh, not even human beings. Well, they haven't quite got to that point yet. But what you find in the news media is that whenever a situation goes on, oh, this many people died. But at least if you're from the UK, they'll then suddenly follow up. And two of them were British. <laughs> exactly. So there was a typhoon in Sri Lanka today. 5,000 Sri Lankans died. Um, and two Brits were injured. <laughs> and then the next thing you know, they spend the next hour talking about these two yeah, Brits. Yeah, they're talking about their life story and how they're going to get home. And all. And actually, we can see this at the moment with the coronavirus in that the emphasis is, uh, yeah, 200 people have died in China. Uh, and the story will actually be about getting all the Brits uh, back home. Yeah, that'll it? be the focus. That'll be the focus. It's like the Chinese, what, they don't matter? Essentially, well... Especially if you're a politician, they don't think about people. They only no, think no. about voters. As we said, yeah, Again, sure. this is how language has changed. Yeah, sure. So, Mike, we'll move on now to the last section of this episode on Newspeak and Doublespeak. We're going to look at the thorny issue of Newspeak or Doublespeak and how it relates to political correctness. Now, just as a heads up, uh, Mike, for our listeners... In episode 18 with Steve, who's been a great contributor to the show in the past, we did a whole episode on political correctness. So if, if any of our listeners out there are interested, they can go and check that episode out. So say episode 18. And we look about the Frankfurt School uh, from the 1930s in Germany and how that and how those academics, those ideas are basically um, the seeds, if you like, of the ideas around political correctness. So it's a really interesting discussion. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, much rather to give that one a listen. Yeah, yeah. So um, just as an idea, uh, as we were saying before about Newspeak, uh, it's about removing certain words and phrases, making their uh, making their use unacceptable. So we can see how, Mike, this relates to political correctness because more and more we're, there's whole certain words and phrases that we can no longer use because they're either racist, they're homophobic, 
they're transphobic, they're whatever it might be. So we can see how that really does directly relate to Newspeak. One thing I often find though about this whole kind of like, um, you know, we'll use a different word instead of something else. So, mm. I mean, just take the idea of um, race and colour. Mm. You know, before we might have said a coloured person. Well, sure. before there was the N-word, but we're not going there. Sure. Then there was a coloured person essentially saying the same thing, just putting a different facade on it. Sure. And then essentially the phrase got changed to, what, an American, especially African-American. Sure. And then they tend to use that even though they're not from Africa. It's just... It's, and it's like this word salad, as I call it, and it's changing all the time. And we were talking about this before. So when my nan was alive... Uh, bless her soul, we'd laugh at her because she called black people coloured people. She meant no offence by it. But now, you know, people in well, the that media... Was just because of the casual racism back then. Well, <laughs> yeah, but I think now if you use the word coloured in a British context and you, you were a, a you know, prominent person in the media, you probably wouldn't work in the media anymore because you'd be seen as being a racist. But Possibly, I, yeah, I say it's... over time, what's confusing about political correctness is, there are many things, but the principal thing is, the acceptable use of words and phrases changes. So like you were saying, um, it was, in America at least, it was, um, you were talking about um, African-American, which actually doesn't really make a lot of sense. And now, um, like with Meghan, Prince Harry's wife, she's recently, uh, last year, when she did a tour of South Africa, she was describing herself as a woman of colour. So how all these Is words, she? yeah, that's how she described herself, as a woman of colour. So how will these words become... I wouldn't even Yeah, it. <laughs> no, nor would I, but how... Do you notice how they will become interchangeable? And you, you get completely confused and you think, in an Orwellian fashion, well, I won't say that because... I don't know, is it going to cause offence? So it diminishes your language. It is limiting the language. Not only that, it's um, putting... Um, it's associating certain things with the language that you are not essentially putting there to begin with. Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, when we say a black person or a person of colour, sure. I mean, most people out there, when we're saying it, we're just making a distinction of, oh, yeah, he had that colour skin or whatever. Like we uh, would, there's the man or the woman with the hat. Yeah, right? exactly. It's just a way of distinguishing. There's, there's no... You know, her there, we're not trying to say, oh, that person there is bad because sure. he's got that x12z distinction sure, yeah. you know it's just making a distinction of uh, oh there was a difference you know sure. you know if you're iding someone you're gonna want these details sure, sure. but you know a lot of people will jump on the bandwagon of oh you made you you said that you know you yeah. must be a racist sure. and stuff like this so as we know um those who the proponents of political correctness which tends to be more the younger generation doesn't it they well, they Sorry. It's just because um, they've grew up with it more because, sure. you know, people are over like 30 or 40 now. We, sure. We've known before PC sure. to the PC. Sure. Um, and everyone, especially the younger generation, you know, the 15, 20 year olds now, sure. they've, that's what they've known. Yeah. So their motives might appeal, appear well-intentioned, Mike, because they, they are said to be discouraging racism, condemning violence, denouncing discrimination and hatred by limiting the use of words or... Uh, such like but really in society you know there is there's a problem now uh, that we're fearful of causing offense and you know no one wants to be labeled hateful or you know committing a hate crime or or close-minded or, or even racist so there is this it relates to our episode 42 when we were talking about all the division in the world that we don't know how to communicate with one another anymore because everyone's you know so um 
easily offended or they're so keen to accuse you of being um, a racist. So I find that I have to check my language. Not that I would ever use anything offensive because that's not in my nature. Yeah, I mean, I've always got this weird fascination with words I have ever since a young age. Yeah. And I've often found that um, even though two people can be speaking perfect English to sure. each other, yeah. you know, no accents to confuse or anything, but yet because they've got two different mindsets sure. um, and two different understandings of why and when each word should be used, um, confusion always happens to come in. Um, sure. And yeah, especially if you've got two backgrounds, you've got two different understandings of the world, you will use two different language sets to, mm. to describe the same thing. Mm, but all it is is language at the end of the day. That's all it is, words. Yeah, I mean, I often say to people, don't focus so much on the very word that was used, because at the end of the day, we're all just trying to get an idea across to someone, sure. yeah. and then we'll try and use the best words we can at the time. But I'll often find myself going, Oh, rubbish, I should have used that word then. Sure, that would have yeah, made more sense. Exactly. We often, yeah, after the event, we think, oh, yeah, I wish I'd used that. It would have been more appropriate. Um, I've got here a very interesting thing which comes from the University of New Hampshire, and it's called University of New Hampshire's Bias-Free Language Guide. Now, this makes for really interesting reading. It's quite quick. Hang on, is this authorised genuine language we're about to yeah, use? Yeah. So <laughs> it was published in 2015, so relatively recent. Um... We might even have, you know, some alumni uh, listening or some people that currently go to University of New Hampshire. That would be interesting because they might have updated it since. <laughs> yeah. So I'll read it. Uh, for the, the new benefit. new speech. The new new speak. So, and I quote, inclusive language is communication that does not stereotype or demean people based on personal characteristics, including gender, gender expression, race, ethnicity, economic background, ability, disability, status, religion, or sexual orientation. Now, the interesting thing for that is, you know, I would look at that and go, yeah, well, that's fair enough. And it, But it's how it's gone on. It used to just be race, ethnicity, gender. Now, this includes, so we've got status, uh, obviously sexual orientation. So I've noticed how over the years, these kind of guides, for want of a better phrase, have broadened, haven't they, to include every, like, micro group. Distinction. You know, yeah, um, they're always adding more adding to more. the list. But yeah. what I find crazy is, um, take for example, disabled. Yeah? yeah, no one wants to be disabled, and I get the idea of being called disabled might might not be exactly great. No. But at the end of the day, it's something you used to say that one ability you used to have, sure. you no longer have. Sure. The, yeah. You may no longer have use of your legs, or sure. may no longer have use of your arms. Sure. Anything can above. But um, at the end of the day, what I find crazy is that, what, by somehow changing the name we call it, it's going to change your disability? That's the ludicrousness. It doesn't, it doesn't change, change the, the fact, does exactly. it? Exactly. That's what we're getting at. So if we look here um, on the guide, it's got preferred and problematic phrases. So problematic include elders, seniors and older people. So the preferred option is people of advanced age. Do you know what? That's ridiculous. <laughs> because it's longer. If anything, the whole calling them your elders, I thought was meant to be a great honour. respectful. Like yeah. you're deferring wisdom upon them. Anyway, I'll just give some examples. So problematic, and these are from the guide, is poor person or poverty stricken. The preferred choice of words is people experiencing poverty. Now, for me, the trouble I have with these, Mike, is... They don't diminish. So the preferred, like, people experiencing poverty, 
How is that any different than saying a poor person? It's just... Hang on, I know the answer to that oh, one. Please um, do. I get what they're trying to go with this, but it's a horrendous way to say it. But right. essentially, um, the great example I use for this, I don't know the correct words to describe it properly, but you don't want to say... Um, you don't want to say you're a naughty child go and sit on the corner no, no, you sure. want to say hey you did something naughty sure. so now your punishment is go sure. and sit in the corner the idea is to not reinforce the idea that you're always going to be naughty you're never going to be nothing sure. but naughty go get your punishment it's... so it's about avoiding labeling is that what you mean? no so... it's not labeling it's stopping that reinforcement because if sure. you could be like oh that's a poor person sure yeah yeah you know it doesn't matter what their socioeconomic status might be in the future but if you're always reinforcing they're going to be poor they might always be poor because of it right. reinforcing like a negative exactly so some more examples here for our listeners mike we've got problematic phrase apparently is rich so the preferred one is a uh, person of material wealth, I'll just give you a few more. Problematic phrase is obese or overweight people. The preferred uh, phrase, as from the New Hampshire's Bias Free Language Guide, is uh, people of size. And we're now down to the one that you mentioned, the classic one. Problematic is normal, um, normal, able-bodied is actually the preferred. Now, this is a real interesting one. Preferred is non-disabled. But I thought the word disabled, see, I think this is now out of date because the word disabled has become unacceptable. So how could you have... Non- I think what they're trying to do is just mess you up there and chuck in an antonym for something rather yeah, than say, sure. you know, because the idea then is to get rid of the idea of a normality and yeah, get sure. rid of the idea of anything that might be referred to that. So you can't sure. use... I mean, at the end of the day, everyone's got a certain roughly shared experience you know sure. we all were all born in this world we all grow up we all eat die. we all we all pretty much all eat eat watch tv at one point sure. you know so we've all got that, that shared normal experience and the idea is to start eroding that common basis of what we define as normal sure. um so they can push us in any which way they want sure and that that leads into where political correctness in my mind uh, it's just creating greater division. So yes. these the, the people that are the proponents of it, who I think are naive because they're not aware that there's a, a bigger picture or a bigger agenda of forces that they're unaware of pushing this because they want to create divisions within society. Yeah, well, I often find, um, with a good couple of years ago now, the social justice warrior was a real big thing. It's a buzzword. And, and essentially what it was is people going out there deciding to defend people um who didn't ask to be defended most of the time you know it's like oh you said this this is offensive to these people how dare you and then when it actually got round of it those people in question would be like no we're not offended at all what are you on about it's your own issue um but you what what this was is a lot of people that started waking up to certain issues in the world and suddenly feeling like i am a crusader of justice and i must do something where at the end of the day all they're doing is splashing in a and ruining everyone's day and they need to maybe look in the mirror at their own issues so as i was saying mike and i agree with people who argue that in some sense political correctness can actually create anger and resentment towards minority groups because if people feel that their needs are being over promoted or if the fact that we really shouldn't you know offend these people well 
other people who don't regard themselves as minorities will go, well, that's not fair. So this, again, it's about creating I mean, do you know what? Great example there is the whole Christmas thing, you know? Sure. We celebrate Christmas in the United Kingdom, and do you know what? I'll have to admit, it really has no religious context whatsoever in today's environment. No. It is literally no. a family celebration, gift-giving, sure. and generally, for most retail workers out there, just a day off. Yeah. Um, but, you know, suddenly because we got, we, we've got to be considered more multicultural now, we've got more people from other countries moving here, you know, for some reason the powers be deciding, oh, we don't want to offend them, let's just change the name to Seasons Greetings or, you know, Seasonal Holidays. Yeah, sure. And I find that offensive in the way that, at the end of the day, if these people want to move here, they should be um, tolerant of the traditions and standards of, sure. of the country or that they're least, moving to. Or at least, like they do in, in France embrace the indigenous culture to some degree exactly so the idea that we've got to change it to to suddenly not offend the people moving here sure. annoys everyone living in the country because it's sure. like why have you got to change this exactly. we've always celebrated it like this why, sure. why are you gonna sure yeah and i saw a program recently uh on this issue uh it was actually around immigration and it was they were focusing on denmark and they were talking about how they're concerned that they're culture is being diminished uh, due to immigration you're talking about immigration. yeah over over in <coughs> europe it's a quite a horrendous problem where sure. they are just kind of like especially in small local areas where sure. um local community is the key and king sure. they're just shoving thousands of refugees into these sure. areas sure. and totally changing the entire not just demographic of people there but the very landscape and sure. what goes on sure and just back to the example from Denmark, this, the interviewer was trying to insinuate that this guy in Denmark was racist and then he had to say, well, actually, my wife's from Africa. So he was saying preserving indigenous culture uh, in Denmark, you know, it's not an issue of race. It's actually a lot of it's just about common sense. And this was around um, in Denmark, part of their Christmas tradition. They have like this little cartoon character, this character where it's like a white person, but the face is blacked up okay so there's certain movements in Denmark that are saying that this is racist and those that want to continue the tradition are saying well this isn't this is just a cartoon character this isn't about us imitating black people do you see what I mean so there was an argument around that and I could see both points of view on that. so that is almost taking something out of context like um what was it I remember hearing on the news a long time ago that they were saying that gingerbread men were yeah, um, sure. somehow racist or or sure. Um, disregarding a section of the society so they've got to get rid of gingerbread men it's like no they're called gingerbread men because they've got a certain ginger taste sure. to them don't yeah, they? yeah sure that's where it just gets ridiculous so um lastly in terms of this university of new hampshire's bias free language guide mike they go on to talk about this interesting thing i picked up on it because it's very contemporary which is the idea of microaggression right so in terms of their guide <laughs> towards this you're going to like this as our listeners are so a microaggression, and I quote, is a subtle, often automatic, stereotypical and insensitive behaviour or comment or assumption about a person's identity, background, ethnicity or disability. Microaggressions uh, may be intentional or non-intentional. Uh, so the example of a verbal attack. Now, this one beggars belief, actually. So this is in the guide. It gives an example of a microaggression, which it describes as a verbal attack, which is ridiculous. So it says, to a blind person using a guide dog, if you said to that 
person, the blind person, dogs smell funny, that would be an example of a verbal attack. Sorry, so, what? So... I, I don't understand so, that one. So to... to I, you, I thought the verbal aggression would be like, do you see that over there? Oh, sorry, you're blind. No, 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 no. So I thought that was where so you were going So to a this. blind person using a guide, dog, a guide dog, if you said to them, dogs smell funny, that's what it says. I, uh, I, uh, I'm, uh, oh, I'm lost for words. Yeah. Uh, can you explain that one? I, I, I can't explain it. That just shows you how ridiculous it is. Because it's, okay. it's not even referencing sight. It's referencing smell. Which they have. Which they have. So I don't really understand that. But Hang you... on. It doesn't even make the definite article of your dog smells no, funny. No, it's exactly. just a generalistic dog smell. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, um, it's probably because oh I understand it's probably because it's been derogatory towards dogs and the fact is that the blind person has to use the guide dog so maybe it's kind of like they're saying that's derogatory towards the blind person because they have no choice but to use dogs and it's a deflammatory comment about dogs so maybe that's the point that it's making Bloody hell, they're digging deep on that one. <laughs> so anyway, my, next. So, yeah, my point about <laughs> microaggression is I think it's a very dangerous concept now because basically what's happening is you can be, uh, it's acceptable for someone to blame you for an offence or even a crime because you can be accused of hate crime. This is serious stuff that you didn't intend or know that you'd even committed. So it's also known as unconscious bias or unconscious racism. But normally in law, you need to have the intent to commit a crime. But now the supposed victim just needs to perceive it as a crime. So that's where, oh, to yeah. me, it's like... <laughs> We've got next level retard. Yeah, next level oh, retard. Oh, there's another phrase oh, that I God, careful, <laughs> retarded, yeah. Um, it's this idea of, yeah, uh, an unconscious aggression or microaggression. Is, this is where it's getting crazy. Now, this is the thing that I always find crazy about the the phrase microaggression itself, because um, as far as I was aware, if you're just saying something and not realising you're causing offence by saying it, you're just, you know, oops, sorry, my bad, I didn't mean. Mm. Um, there was no aggression in what you said, so how could it be a microaggression? Yeah, I don't know where the use of aggression. I mean, we're hearing this now, obviously, with the rise of the transgender movement, where you can't use pronouns like he or she. I mean, you know, it it's it's it is getting to a situation of just ridiculousness. Do you know what? I don't mean to be transphobe or sexist in any way, but the phrase we used to have back in the old days for something like that would have been in it. Right. I mean, I doubt they would have liked hearing themselves sure. being called an it. It was just. You know, if you did see someone like that on about um, before this became a big topic, it was just, we wouldn't even think of them as a he or a she. It would be like, it over there, we're not sure which one well, it is. Is it like the box on, you know, when you do the surveys, the other box? <laughs> yeah. Is it, is it like the, I mean, the bizarre thing is, we had this discussion last week, I think, is the reason why it's said to be offensive, is it partly because certain types of people who get easily offended certainly within the you know the trans movement or whatever would say that gender is socially constructed is that what they're arguing so if you say he or she to someone you're being offensive because you're making an assumption well at the end of the day um we live in a world where in normality and yes i am going to use that in a mathematical context here i would easily hazard a guess that 95 plus percent of the population mm. 
is the standard one or the other and you can generally make an assumption and assumptions at the end of the day just make our lives easier because we can flow better with so things. yeah i mean that's a good point you make to make an assumption is not offensive and now because we're living in this new speak orwellian world it's becoming that and it's ridiculous do you know what i think it comes down to i think it comes down to a lot of these people who um do want to change their sexes from one to the other and that's no good for them if that's their choice but I think that um, because we live in a society that's so focused on an outside perception, you know, what does that person think of me? What does that sure. person And a think? very over-sexualised society in a way that we're obsessed with so, sexuality. Yeah, yeah, and so we're obsessed with, our, you know, the perception that people have of us, um, that by revealing your perception of someone suddenly is that is that is that a crime is... yeah sure yeah and this is where it's it's getting into really dangerous um territory a bit like minority crime where sorry minority crime <laughs> minority report where the principle was that people could be arrested and charged before they even committed a crime oh, so yeah. you know we're going down that you whole committed pre-fought crime for crime <laughs> and it, it, it you know hopefully like we always say on discerning consciousness because we're all about balance and deepening consciousness we hope that it will come back into balance and some common sense and normalcy will return because you know as with all things it will return to balance at some point but at the moment you know it's like you're getting academics who are getting fired from universities in the uk because they're saying that there are only two sexes you know people that are just well, biological facts and they're there getting are fired only two sexes. <laughs> but, yeah but this is serious mike because people you know in professions that they've worked years in they're getting fired their careers are over because they're just stating a biological fact that's how crazy things are getting so this is well, we laugh about yeah. it but you know it is a serious point. i mean at the end of the day i think like we've mentioned before um gender is a bit of a social construct but yeah. not in the way people think essentially what we talk about when it comes to gender is the expression of your sex yeah yeah sure. in yeah, social yeah. construct yeah. um so in the way that you know ben, men will always like um tend towards guns and violence and sure. cars um sure. women will tend towards um you know pink and fluffy and soft stuff you just offended a lot of people by saying <laughs> i don't care because do you know what this is generally correct exactly i yeah. mean it's one of those rule of thumbs yeah. you know if you are if you're a businessman you're putting your money on it you invest on this generality because sure. it's going to make you more money than not so that's in a way if we flesh this out a bit just as we're coming towards the end here you know, a lot of stereotypes, can't get my words out today, which, you know, the New Hampshire's Guide wants to obliterate, a lot of it's quite true a lot of the time. Stereotypes, it's how we navigate. Because we don't know the it's essence of people. assumptions, it's how it's we like make our life easier. If I see six yobbos, you know, on the road in front of me, I'm going to probably make the, discern the discernment to cross the road. Yeah. You know, do you know, because it's kind of like, well, they... they you know, just in case, might, don't want to take the chance. Yeah, yeah, I mean, am I? I mean, certain groups of people would say I'm discriminating against those young lads, and I guess I am in a way. But that's no, how we. No, you're well, not. That's how we navigate life. As the way I see it, um, discrimination comes into um, treating them differently. Yeah, sure. Yeah, because of an X, Y, Z difference yeah sure um you know and there's generally prejudice in there involved for sure. that to happen yeah. um so if you're just crossing the street because you don't like the look of some guys approaching you like yeah i'm taking the th the thing of i'd rather not be beaten up sure. so 
Or sometimes it could just be as simple as, I don't want to even accidentally make eye contact no, with no, someone. No, sometimes it can be as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but one thing I did want to go back onto about the whole... Microaggression? Microaggressions. <laughs> I just cut that bit out. I forgot what I was going to say now. Because <laughs> there was something I was going to add on earlier. And, yeah. Never mind. So, um, just drawing things to a conclusion now, Mike. Um, we've had a really fascinating discussion today about uh, George Orwell's 1984 and specifically Newspeak. And then we went on to talk about Doublespeak and we touched upon um, political correctness, which once again for our listeners, if they want to hear more about our views on that, they can check out episode 18. So thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. It's been a real fun, interesting discussion. Yeah. One thing we do want to say now is if anyone was offended by anything we did say and how sure. we referenced it, we literally don't mean an offence about anything. We just want to be able to talk about this in a yeah. kind of like intellectual manner, if you know sure. what I mean. In a discerning way to yeah. expand consciousness. Bye for now.